الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى والسلام على بعده الذي نصطفى أما بعد فعذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الله لطيف بعباده يرزق من يشاء وهو القوي العزيز صدق الله العظيم سبحان ربك رب العزة عما يصفون والسلام على المرسلين والحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم so last week uh, i think imam ghazali rahimullah mentioned the most important aspect throughout the entire year does anybody have an idea what that was No, no, of, of everything we've discussed the whole year, or anything that's come in the book throughout the year, he mentioned something which is probably the most important aspect, the, most, the single most important statement that he's mentioned, that has been discussed. <laughs> Not entirely. Not exactly long. It was... <coughs> He mentioned it under Al-Hakam. I believe it was under Al-Hakam. But, but anyway, he mentioned, he says that, what did he say last week? He said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that we have to view our reason and our logic through divine legislation, not divine legislation through our own logic and reason. So, that is extremely important for us. What does that mean? To view reason through divine legislation as opposed to the other way around. Anybody have an idea? That means that when we are learning about Islam, when we are discussing Islam, when we are looking at life, then we have to put on the lens, look through the lens of divine legislation as opposed to the other way around. That what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has said, what He has commanded, what He has mandated, what is in the sunnah from Rasulullah is is what is logical and it is what is best. <clears throat> and some of these things might be more difficult for us to understand. Uh, you know, something like, for example, for me, maybe something would be more difficult to understand for another person, that same thing might not be difficult. But for the other person, maybe they would have difficulty in another aspect and I would have an easier time understanding the other aspect. This is because of the cultures that we grow up in, right? Our perspectives on things. And we mentioned it like when we had the whole discussion about marijuana and all that. You know, we went on a tangent last week. So what, it, what is it that we cannot allow our culture to dictate what is good and what is beneficial and what is logical and what is reasonable. Rather, it has to be the other way around. Now, I'm not saying that Islam is here to eradicate culture. That's not what Islam came to do. Yes, there were negative aspects of culture that need to be removed, Right. 
However, if, if it's not necessarily something negative, it's a part of culture, so then no problem, right? So one example is that there were many things that the people of Quraysh and Makkah did that the people of Medina did not do. Uh, some of those things were negative, and Islam started eradicating those things. When Rasulullah went to Medina Munawra, then the Ansar, they used to be a little bit more festive when it came to their, their wedding celebrations than the people of Makkah were. And so Rasulullah allowed it. So that was something, those certain, certain festivities were, there was nothing uh, wrong founded in them within Islam. And then the aspect of just celebration for the wedding itself uh, was okay. Therefore the Prophet allowed it, right? So Islam is not here to abolish everything of culture. However, it will tell us what is okay and what is not okay. What is an okay aspect of culture, what is not an okay aspect of culture. And <clears throat> we have to know that there are things that we're not going to understand. And we might not understand them right away. Eventually, we might understand them, right? So <clears throat> when we are not able to understand something, for example, nowadays, speaking to other uh, ulama and things, there's basically five aspects. We call it the big five, right? Like when I discussed with Sheikh Qasim, we, we call it the big five. Things that we are constantly and always asked about in practically every arena. And what are they? Things relating to apostasy in Islam, things relating to uh, the types of punishments like had punishments, right? Legal punishments that are given, women's issues, slavery in Islam, and homosexuality. These five things, practically in every venue, in every arena, we get asked about these things. Okay. Um, some of these things, like there's explanations for all of them, but some of them we are we might not be able to understand them right away. Our lack of ability to understand them, it's not necessarily something negative on our part. But know that ilm is nur, right? Knowledge is light. And when we don't understand it, there's a block that's happening. So how do we deal with that? We have to understand that the Qur'an and the Sunnah is not something that is any normal piece of literature that we just analyze and give our opinion on it. If we don't understand it, there's no, there's no problem in saying, I don't understand there's nothing wrong with that, right? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala won't take us to account for not understanding every minute detail of the religion, you know? Um, however, we should, if we don't understand something, we can say we don't understand, no problem. But we should reserve comment against it. Hold back from commenting against it. Because the fear is, if we say, I don't understand, your iman's not in a dangerous place. But if we say, well, I disagree with this, and it's a text of Qur'an or something firmly founded and established from the sunnah of Rasulullah and we say, I disagree, or I don't like that aspect, our iman comes into danger. You know, it's a dangerous place to be in. So just, all we have to do is stop from that comment. Don't say it, and ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to uh, allow us to understand it, and then recognize that we don't understand it. When I was studying in madrasa, we discussed, uh, we studied a certain mas'ala, right, a certain ruling in my second year, and I didn't understand it. And it wasn't anything controversial, it was something dealing with Salah, right? Uh, I didn't understand it. And I was sitting, rem I remember I was sitting in my Dora class, in my final year of Hadith, and we're studying Abu Dawud, we're not even discussing that ruling, and all of a sudden it just pops into my mind, like it was just this opening, and I understood. This ruling that we discussed four years earlier, all of a sudden I understood it. So what happens? When we don't understand, there's a block. And we discussed that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Fattah, right? He is the one who opens the path. So ilm is nur. If we don't understand aspect A, number one, we should 
read Qur'an, we should make dhikr, because these things remove wasawis, whisperings from shaitan, they remove doubts, and start studying another aspect of the deen. Right? If we can't, you know, it's like a, like a math problem. Somebody, like computer programmers will discuss this. There's writer's block, math problems, all these different types of things. You'll break your head on, on this problem for a long time and you just won't get it, right? Has anyone experienced this? You just won't get it. So you leave it. You take a break from it. And when you come back to it later, maybe you understand it, right? So the same thing. Certain things we not, we, in Islam, we might not be able to understand thing A. Read Quran, make dhikr, ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to let, make you understand and start studying thing, you know, thing B, ruling B or whatever, right? Something that's not even related to it. Inshallah, that nur eventually will open up our mind, open our heart, and then we will be able to understand these things. Right? So this is what Imam al means by view, the view reason and logic through divine legislation, not divine legislation through logic and reason. Right? Because if it doesn't make logical sense to us, that doesn't mean that now we have to change divine legislation. You know, so what happens... Um, we are a, everybody is a, is a, uh, uh, what's it called, are the results of our environment, right? So for example, <clears throat> because of our environment, we will view things in a certain light. When it comes to, in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions certain places that uh, you need two, uh, two female witnesses and one male witness. The mindset that we have grown up in is that we'll automatically start looking at that and saying, oh, see, Islam says that women are half the worth of men. Whereas that's not the case. It has nothing to do with the value of one or the other. Both have the same and equal amount of value, right? And so what's happened is we've gone into this, um, with the advent of feminism, we've gone too extreme in that, right? And people will say that uh, Islam is a feminist religion because it gives rights to women. Yes, in that aspect it is. But we've also gone, society has gone too extreme in that. So you'll find people that have gone extreme in their feminism to the point that the very thing that they dislike, the very thing they set out to, to make better through the, the feminist approach, they become that thing they don't like. So you will see, for example, certain women who are so, you know, they, they go so extreme in their feminism that they also begin ridiculing women the way that men do, right? They'll begin, uh, they'll begin walking, sitting, dressing, speaking. They will try and associate themselves on a personal level like a man, so much so that they become the very thing that they don't like, right? And that's an extreme point. That's an extreme example. Another example, uh, there's a book called The Importance of Being Earnest, something, something to that extent, right? And... <clears throat> In this book, every single character in the book has been embellished on its stereotype, right? Has been embellished on its stereotype. So the older male figure, the younger male figure, the older female figure, the younger female figure, all have been embellished on the stereotype that you, the stereotypes that come into your mind when you think of all of these uh, individuals, these types of people. But what happens is some people, when you discuss this book with them, some people will say that, you know, it's unfortunate that the author decided to stereotype the woman. Whereas he stereotyped everybody, right? That's what he did, because the author had a certain point, a certain perspective, a certain thing he wanted to get across. However, we only notice the, the, the female, the woman being stereotyped, you know? So if this is a result of the environment that we live in. So then when we take that and we look at the Qur'an in the same way, we'll notice things that aren't there, and we'll, we'll interpret or misunderstand something in a way that it's not meant, right? So... 
two female witnesses to one male witness. Oh, women are not worth the same value. They don't have the same value. Whereas that's not the case at all, right? right? Therefore, we have to be able to remove ourselves from the, 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 the logic of the society we live in and know that this is the Qur'an, this is the sunnah of Rasulullah if it is divinely legislated, then there is benefit in it, right? And then understanding, that's for us to try to understand what the reasoning is behind it, but we can't change what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated, what He has mandated, because it doesn't make sense to us, right? So this is a very important point that Imam Ghazali mentions, and this is something that we should constantly keep in front of us as we move forward, uh, like beyond the class and everything, our approach to life and the deen and everything. Anyway, so this week Imam Ghazali he gets to Al-Latif. Al-Latif means the benevolent. It's the benevolent, the one who is kind, the one who is just, sorry, the one who is kind and gentle, um, the one who is subtle. Okay, so its meaning is that an individual or a thing or the one who has well-meaning for others and is kind and gentle. The, it is derived from the aspect of extreme kindness and compassion in such a way that the human faculty could not perceive, meaning our five senses could not perceive these things. This is, what, this is how subtle Al-Latif is. To be so subtle in your approach, to be so subtle in your being, that the five senses, the human senses, cannot perceive them. Imam Zayyid mentions that this is, the, this is also a proof as to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala not having a physical body. Because what is a body? It is something that is perceived by the five senses, right? By some or, all, or some or all of the five senses. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is subtle in what He does. Now what's, what verse of Qur'an is mentioned, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says uh, in Surah Yusuf, that, وَرَفَعَ أَبَوَيْهِ عَلَى الْعَرْشِ وَخَرُّ لَهُ سُجَّدًا That Yusuf alayhi salam, now the, we won't go into the whole story of Yusuf alayhi salam, but in general everybody knows it, Yusuf alayhi salam was separated, his brothers threw him into a well, he got taken into slavery, sold into it, then he came out, uh, or sorry, he was a servant, and then he was imprisoned. Uh, and then he came out, and he was given position and power. And he eventually was reunited with his family. Right? So, in a nutshell. Beautiful story. This, this surah was actually revealed in, in full to Rasulullah The entire surah, to give him, to, to console Rasulullah after he had been subjugated to a lot of, after he was, you know, kind of saddened by the events around him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That Yusuf he raised his parents on the throne. So now this is after his brothers and his parents, everyone has come back to him. And Yusuf raises them, his parents, on a throne. And they bow, all of them, his brothers, his parents, they all bow themselves to him in a type of prostration, in a type of, in a bowing. He says, That, oh my father, this is the interpretation of my dream that I had before. How does Surah Yusuf begin? In the opening verses, he says that, I saw 11 stars and the sun and the moon prostrating themselves to me. And his father, Yaqub says, Jacob, right, he says, that don't tell your brothers because they will understand what this means. <clears throat> and so uh, he says that, uh, oh my father, I have, this is the interpretation of my dream. I saw 11 stars, he had 11 brothers. The sun and the moon were his parents, all of them bowing before me. 
قَدْ جَعَلَهَا رَبِّي حَقَّا That my Rabb has made this, my Lord has made this come true. وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ وَقَدْ أَحْسَنَ بِي إِذْ أَخْرَجَنِي مِنَ السِّجْنِي And how excellent, how good was my Rabb to me when he removed me from the prison. وَجَاءَ بِكُمْ مِنَ الْبَدُوِي And he brought you out from the desert. مِنْ بَعْدِ أَنْ نَزَعَ الشَّيْطَانُ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنَ إِخْوَتِي uh, when he brought you out, he brought you out from the desert after uh, Shaytan had caused a rift between me and between my brothers. Inna Rabbi Latifun. Indeed, my Rabb is Latif. Lima Yasha to whoever he wishes. He is subtle and gentle and kind to whoever he wishes. Innahu huwal alimul hakim. Indeed, he is all knowing, all wise. So if we understand the story of Yusuf Alaihissalam, look at how much difficulty he went through. Thrown down a well, separated from his Right, bullied from his brothers, separated from his family as a child, right? As he was very young. And then he was a free individual. He was a prophet and then he was taken into slavery. And then he was subjugated to prison. But had all of that not happened, his, all of that was necessary for him to establish, to, be, to get the position that he was able to achieve. Because what happened? How did he get this position? That he was in the prison... And he interpreted a dream for a couple of for people that were there. And then when those individuals were removed from the prison, and the king had a dream that worried him, then they said, oh, you know, there was this individual that seven years ago or so, I was, all these years ago, I was supposed to come and tell you about him when I was released. He's been, as all these years have passed, he can interpret dreams. And then when, when, when uh, Yusuf interprets the dream, then he's removed from his place. And when they find it to be true, then he's given his position and everything. So what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sometimes will put us into difficulty. Sometimes we will go down a dark tunnel, but at the end of that tunnel is light. And we would not have achieved, we would not have come to that light had we not gone down this dark tunnel. Oftentimes that is the case. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is subtle in how he brings us to, uh, shows his compassion to us. Now, <clears throat> Imam Ghazali says that one is deserving of this title if one knows the subtleties and the hidden aspects of what is beneficial. And this individual, this being, is committed to the path of gentleness rather than harshness. That this is part of the share that we can take in this. And a perfection of meaning is to combine gentleness in action with delicacy of perception. So to have the intricacies, the, to know and recognize the subtleties that lay before us all around our life and in the world. Some of the ulama, they mentioned that al-latif is explained in four ways. So there's four aspects to understand latif, right? We, we can understand that it's not simple. Most of these names are not just simple one-word translations to help us understand. So four aspects that uh, can help us understand what latif is. Number one, latif is what is too subtle, as we mentioned, for the five senses to perceive. Okay, so we mentioned that already. And this distinguishes Allah from humans. Number two, a person who is ambidextrous is said to have latif hands. So a person who, is, who can easily, just as easily use his right and his left hand, this person in Arabic is, uh, he's, called, he's, some, he's referred to as somebody who has latif hands. Because he can reach what others can't and has knowledge that others don't. What knowledge does he have? Meaning he has the ability to use both hands. So he can apply both limbs in a way that others can't and there's a subtlety like if when we just think about the, what knowledge goes into this what does what benefits does an ambidextrous person have there's a subtlety in knowing the uh the sorry the upper hand sort of the upper hand that this individual would have over others right like who are those who play sports it's not complete the ability with the right and left hand but maybe in basketball 
the right-handed people, if you can use your left hand, make a dribble with the left hand, make a left-handed layup, it's a lot. It gives you an edge over the defense, right? Really useful in tennis. Super useful. <laughs> and yeah, I imagine in tennis it would be really useful, right? Also, <laughs> exactly. Um, number three, uh, benignant to his servants, even when they're unaware of it, managing their affairs without them knowing it. So meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala show is compassionate to his servants, even when they're unaware of it. So we'll be down in the dumps. We're thinking that we're suffering, that things are so difficult, yet we don't even realize what compassion lays before us. We don't even realize what favors Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has bestowed us with. Right? We mentioned before, I think, uh, one of the biggest favors, I mean, like, look, look, we drink water on a regular basis. How do we take it? We, we totally take it for granted, right? Imagine how many people around the world don't have water, right? They don't have water. Something so simple, we, yet we take it for granted. We don't even realize. And this is something that we have realized. There's those things we don't even realize. And usually, we only realize it after it has been taken away from us. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He gives us, even without us being aware of it, He shows His compassion and His kindness, His gentleness to us. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, Allahu latifun bi'ibadi, that Allah is latif to His slaves, to His servants. Yarzuqu man yasha. He gives them sustenance, he gives sustenance to whoever he wishes, aziz, and he is the strong, the mighty, right? The powerful, the mighty. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives sustenance to whoever he wishes. And Imam Ghazali mentioned in Ar Razaq when we discussed that name that there is a outward sustenance and an inward sustenance. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is constantly giving us and we don't even realize it. Food is being brought to us, inward sustenance, our souls are being nourished, and we don't have the realization of these types of things. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He's getting that, He's getting us the, the provisions that we need, and He's subtle in it, right? We're not even realizing how He's doing it, or that He's doing it at all. Number four, and this is, so these first three is what uh, other scholars have mentioned. Number four, Imam Ghazali only mentions this, out of these four things, he only mentions number four. He says, one who knows the secrets of everything, and he makes them reach those who deserve them with subtlety. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the secrets of everything and He gets them to those that He deems deserving of it without them realizing it. So He knows the subtleties and the secrets of all that there is. An example of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's... Now what did, so what did we mention was Latif? Subtlety, knowing the secrets, um, what is it? Gentleness, compassion, all of these types of things describe Latif. So the example Imam Ghazali rahimullah brings, he says... Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He creates the fetus in the womb of its mother. And He puts it in multiple darknesses. And then He protects it and He nurtures it. He nurtures it through the umbilical cord until it separates. And then he, uh, he, uh, the, that child, that infant becomes independent of the umbilical cord and begins to take from the, the mouth. But what happens? Without being instructed, now they say suckling for a child is, some, is a learned trait. And that may be true, right? It's probably pretty accurate. But... The child is not really instructed in it. How does the child know that, okay, when I suckle, then that's where I'm going to get my sustenance from? You know? And then what happens? The child is born. There's, the mother doesn't actually produce any milk until the child is born, right? Unless there's, you know, different, like, uh, what's it called? Supplements or whatever being taken. That's a different story. But typically, the mother doesn't even produce milk until the child is born. And not even right away. It t- actually takes three days before milk, for milk to come in. But a certain type of liquid still secretes itself 
and the child survives. The child's basically not eating anything for three days. Kind of, in a, in a sense it is, but it still survives. All of this Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is making it happen, yet we don't even realize this favor that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is giving us. Imam Uzzayi then he goes on and says, then what? Uh, that even in the darkness of the night, the child, the child can't even see beyond like a foot and a half or something, right? But in the darkness of the night, it knows where it needs to turn, where it knows that it needs to cry, it knows what it needs to do in order to get its sustenance from its mother. And then he mentions that uh, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires the shell to break. So when you have a bird, the egg, the shell breaks, the bird comes out and immediately it knows to start pecking at the different grains around it. Nothing has taught it to eat those things, but it knows that it needs to uh, uh, do those things immediately. One time, I remember I was watching like Discovery Channel or something like that, and, uh, or National Geographic, I don't know what it was. And they showed this type of uh, turtle or tortoise or something, and it, it was sitting and watching and waiting. And there was a huge nest. It was a crocodile nest. And this turtle is sitting there and waiting for the crocodile to leave. The crocodile leaves. The turtle then goes into the nest. It's a huge nest. And it lays its eggs and buries them underneath the nest of the crocodile. Because it knows, like, I can't really protect... Right? The turtles are not, they're very slow. It knows I can't protect my, my eggs. So it hides its eggs under the nest of the crocodile so that the crocodile in protecting its own, its own uh, offspring will protect the turtles. The turtle then leaves, never comes back to its children. The eggs hatch and these little tiny turtles, they walk out and they actually like start looking left to right. And then they slowly make their way to the water. They know that we need to get away because there's predators around. They recognize who their predators will be. It's like they wait and see when the crocodile is not there and then they leave. They go straight to the water and then they start swimming away. This is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Look at his, look at how he shapes things. Look at how he uh, inspires his different creation to do the things it needs to do to survive. Right? This is an example of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being latif. Uh, he goes back to the discussion of the, the child that the it doesn't have teeth in the beginning because it has no need for it. It can't eat food, it can't digest the food, so it doesn't have teeth, it doesn't have a need for it, the child doesn't have teeth. After some time, when its digestive system is strong enough, it gets the teeth then come out so that it can start crushing up the food. And then the different types of teeth. Right? All of these inner workings that are happening without our realization. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing all of these things. Right? He mentions the tongue. that The tongue typically we understand it to be something to help our verbalization, our voices, our words, our speech. But the tongue is also, Imam Ghazali mentions, this is a shovel for our food. That it is able to move the food around to the certain part of the teeth, to the certain part of the mouth, so that the appropriate teeth can crush. Because some teeth are there for breaking, some teeth are for cutting, and some are for crushing. I, I went to a crocodile farm in uh, South Africa once, and there was a crocodile feeding. So they're taking like, they went to the store and they bought chickens, Right? They were, don't worry, they were dead and all that, you know. <laughs> and they're throwing them over. The crocodiles open their mouth, they have no tongue. There's no tongue in the crocodile's mouth. But it, it catches it and it just closes its mouth and opens it and it's gone. It just swallows it, like it suctions it down. So they have these big teeth. These teeth are just for chomping away to get it small enough that it can fit into its mouth and it just swallows it. Whereas our tongues are actual shovels that move the, the food around into the different parts of the mouth. Uh, Imam Muzayyid then he mentions also if we think about every morsel of food how it arrives to us think about how much goes into it now we just go to the store or you can even order on Amazon or something right you can order food <laughs> but what goes into that 
it has to be the seed has to be laid into the into the ground into the dirt. The dirt has to be covered. The dirt has to be nurtured. The proper soil, the water, all of these things have to go there. The farmer has to do what he needs to do. Uh, they have to grow it. They have to cut it down. All these different things. Then getting it to the store. All of these things are there. We don't even realize with every single morsel. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has how he makes the morsel even reach us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is his compassion and his subtlety in our sustenance. He then brings the example that we take also the production how is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala latif? The production of pure milk from digested food and blood. The milk that the mother provides, it is because of the food that she eats and the blood in her body. Right? That it actually takes more, to, it takes more calories, for example, for a, for a woman to produce milk than it does for her to actually grow the, the, the baby. To grow an entire human. <laughs> it takes less than it, uh, uh, than it does for her to produce the milk. So what happens? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a result of this food and blood, He produces pure milk from her. He brings out gems from, from stones. He brings honey from the bees. He creates pearls from oysters. How do, how, you guys know how pearls are made? Oysters go to the surface of the water. They take a drop of rain, and then it turns into a pearl. Right? And then He mentions the creating of insan, the creating of humans from impure semen, which then from that impure drop become the vessels of knowledge. Right? And they become the successors of the earth, the inheritors of the earth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has gifted the earth to them. Right? And then they can start understanding the kingdom of the heavens, all these different facets, these things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has created. So he says that in, in the council, what is the council to insan regarding Latif? To have gentleness with regard to the creation. Guide them without rebuke or harshness, without fanaticism or dispute. And the best way of being benevolent lies in attracting others to accept the truth by one's good qualities. Because a ple pleasing comportment, meaning pleasing behavior, and exemplary actions, they are more benign than eloquent exhortation. That your good character, your gentleness, your calmness, that will be more effective in da'wah. That will be more effective in guiding people, in teaching people, than eloquent speech. Eloquent speech is eloquent speech. We hear, think about, we, we go to different talks, we hear so many eloquent speeches. And we'll, we'll witness this, right? People after Jummah or something will come up to us. Shaykh, that was a great talk. What did I talk about? And they're just dumb, like dumbfounded. No idea. They can't repeat anything you said. You know what I mean? And they'll come up with something that you didn't say. <laughs> right? So what is eloquent speech? We've made it a source of entertainment now, right? We go into gatherings of knowledge and we make it entertaining. And that's unfortunate. But... What will actually have an impact in changing people is our good character, our good behavior. That's when people will be, uh, when, when we will reach people. Right? Uh, he also mentions that um, often this quality, this attribute of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being latif, this will be noticed like a fine mist in the quietude of a turbulent world. So an example comes to mind. I don't know if you guys ever watched or heard uh, a few months ago, there was a BBC interview regarding a former Guantanamo Bay prisoner. His name was Shakir Ahmed, I think. So he'd been in prison for like 14 years or something, 14 or 15 years. He had a child that was born the day he was transferred to Guantanamo. And he was in prison before Guantanamo also, right? And, I mean, we're aware of what happens in Guantanamo, right? The extreme torture that took place, and people lose their mind. They go insane, completely insane, you know? 14 years he was like that. He was cleared to leave twice. And the last time was, I think, like five, six years ago. And he still ended up spending another five years there for some reason, you know? 
He was cleared by the Bush administration and the Obama administration. I don't know why he, didn't, he wasn't released. Anyway, BBC was interviewing him. He said that there were times that despite all of that, he would be sitting and at his cell and he'd be looking out the window and he would see a little bird chirp down. And it was the same birds that would come every single day. They would come and they would land by him. So the little bit of food he was getting, he would start crushing it up and keeping it for those birds. And he would feed them when they would come. He said that for some reason, there was so much tranquility that overtook him whenever those birds would arrive that he felt like he could stay there forever and just be happy. Imagine, like, in that state of mind, how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala bestows his tranquility on people. You know? It's different for people in different ways, right? Yes, people do go insane there, right? He was one of the fortunate ones that didn't lose his mind. Obviously, he's still been affected, you know? Well, if you watch his interview, it's, it's, I mean, it's heartbreaking, but he seems very normal, you know? But this is, in, and in this, we live in a very turbulent world, right? We're constantly, our phones, our laptops, we're constantly connected, right? Always connected to everything. When you have that moment of calm and, and silence, then Allah, know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is bestowing His tranquility upon you, and He's trying to calm your world at that moment. Any questions on Latif? Okay, so I wanted to go on. Khabir is very short. Khabir is the next name. Yeah, the examples that he gave? Yeah, so he knows the secrets of everything and he makes them reach those who deserve them with subtlety. Right? Meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the inner workings of everything. So like he described the child and how it gets its food, um, our energy sources, right, when we eat food, how it nourishes our body. Um, usually the examples that he gives, Imam Ghazali rahimullah gives are typically when it comes to like food type, food nourishment. Um, but those are some of the best examples also, right, that we don't understand we don't understand or, or realize how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is so subtle in the inner workings. I mean, take the human body, for example, right? Think about how much goes into it. I mean, it's actually the human body, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, right? فَقَدْ خَلَقْنَا insana fi أَحْسَنِ taqweem. We have created insan in the best of molds. Think about the intricacies of the human body and of the entire universe, you know? We, examples have been mentioned before about the cosmos and how the, you know, all these planets, the suns, the stars, the moons, if anything was to be slightly off from its axis where it is now, the whole, the whole galaxy, maybe the whole universe would be thrown into chaos. Right? But this doesn't happen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He knows the secrets of the, the workings of all of these things, and so He makes them work in a certain fashion, a certain way, so that they will, um, everything will, be, uh, will move and progress. Does that answer your question? Yeah. So then uh, He goes on to Al-Khabir. And uh, Khabir is very similar to Alim. Alim was the omniscient, right? The all-knowing, absolute knowledge. Khabir is very similar. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, لا تُدْرِكُهُ الْأَبْصَارِ وَهُوَ يُدْرِكُ الْأَبْصَارِ That nothing, no vision can, can comprehend him. Whilst he comprehends all visions. وَهُوَ الْلَطِيفُ الْخَبِيرِ And he is, he is the gentle or the, the, the subtle, the well-aware, the well-informed. Um, so this basically means that there is no secret information hidden from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No atom moves, no leaf uh, rustles in the wind, no, uh, no soul is stirred nor, nor calmed 
throughout the entire universe except that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is aware of it. So how does this differ from alim? It's a, it's a nuance. Um, it means practically the same thing, but when ilm is related to hidden secrets, so ilm is like knowledge, right? But when it relates to the hidden secrets of something, it's called khibra, awareness. And so the one who has that khibra is the one who is khabir. So it's, it's a more like, a, you know, you, you get like a, in, in, in usul, you'll discuss points like khas and am, something that is general and something that is specific. specific. So you could say alim is general and khabir is more specific. Alim is general to all knowledge and khabir is like the intricacies, the secrets of that knowledge. He mentions that the share of this, the counsel that we have from this is that um, one should be aware of, we, we should be aware of what's happening in our world. And what is our world? Our world is the heart. Right? Yes, we should be aware of our surroundings and the actual physical world, but we should be aware of the, the happenings of the heart. And those things that characterize the heart. So for example, the different, you know, deception and treachery that's in our heart. What preoccupies us, what worldly things preoccupy us from remembering our duty to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Harboring evil intent while putting on a good front, right? Having a, putting on a good face. Adopting a, 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 decorative, a decorous show of sincerity while being devoid of it. We should be aware of these types of things that, that lay in our hearts. And he says that you will only understand those if you are well experienced in knowing the characteristics of the inner self. And then when you have these, this understanding, then you'll be vigilant against the nafs, against the lower self, and you will work to oppose it. Imam Razi, rahimullah, he says that whoever realizes the attribute, this attribute of Allah, khabir, then he will do everything to uphold piety and shun the path of whims and desires. What is the path of whims and desires? It is the path of the nafs, the lower self. So whoever understands Allah Ta'ala is khabir, right? He is the well-informed, he knows everything. Then... We, we, will, it sh- we should be able to shun, like when we have a, we know it, but to have a realization of it. If we have the realization, then we should be able to shun the vices of the heart, shun sin, stay away from it, meaning. Shun it, meaning stay away from it ourselves and, and do what is good. And then interesting point that some of the ulama mentioned, that uh, if you want to, if you have a need from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to understand the workings of Allah, then you should often recite ala ya'lamu man khalaqa wa huwa al khabir that does the one who created not know does the one who created not know whilst he is latif al khabir he is the gentle he is the well informed this is from surah mulk that we should we should often recite this particularly before sleeping if we have some need of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala now keep in mind I'm not trying to give like different wadaif and stuff like that, right? But it's interesting that the, different, the few different books that I was researching for these topics mention this. Know that also when, when different types of wadaif are mentioned, like these anecdotes, it usually means to like do it in a lot, like abundance, not 5, 10, 15, 20 times, but in abundance. So it's just an interesting point. And that's what he mentioned for Khabir. He then went, goes on to Al-Halim. So Halim. Halim means the translation of this. Um, I think there's a better translation of this. The Halim means the forbearant, the tolerant. Now, <clears throat> Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He says, "Walaqad afallahu anhum inna Allah ghafurun halim." That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala excuses them. He forgave them. And indeed, he is 
most forgiving, halim, most forbearant, most tolerant. We can understand this, that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, despite our extreme disobedience to Allah, He grants us respite. He doesn't take us to account. He grants us years and years and years of respite. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَلَوْ يُؤَاخِذُ اللَّهُ النَّاسِ بِظُلْمِهِمْ مَا تَرَكَ عَلَيْهَا مِنْ That were Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to seize mankind for their transgressions, He would not have left a single creature walking on the earth. That our transgressions are so severe, had Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala seized us for it, taken us to account for it, had He grasped us for it, there would be nothing left crawling on this, in this world. وَلَكِنْ يُؤَخِّرُهُمْ إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ مُسَمَّى But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala delays, He gives respite until a appointed time. Now, <clears throat> halim is something, in, you know, our teachers would always tell us that with ilm, you have to have him. Along with knowledge, you have to have him. You have to have forbearance and tolerance. The more knowledge you have, the more difficult it is to understand, to like, be patient with people. Because you know, you see people left and right doing things they're not supposed to do. Simple things. Simple things that we can all do. Like things in our salah, right? You can see people doing it and they have no care for what is right and what is wrong. And so it takes him, it takes forbearance and tolerance to be soft with them and to not rebuke them for it. So our teachers would always say, Hilm doesn't automatically come with ilm, but ilm requires him. Because if you are a person of knowledge, in order for you to disseminate that knowledge, you have to be somebody who is tolerant and has forbearance, has that type of patience with the people around you. You know, we might, have, we might understand that, um, you know, a lot of times we might have experienced it ourselves. We start becoming more religious and we start um, reading more, we start learning more. And then what happens? We become like the Sharia police. Everyone, left and right, you know, that's wrong, you can't do that, that's haram, that's bidah, you can't do this, you can't do that. That's not him. That's not forbearance, right? And we might have noticed amongst ourselves, right? I know I've been guilty of that, right? We might have noticed it amongst others also, that we, think, we learn a little bit and then all of a sudden we're like the saviors of the time, you know? Like we know and nobody else knows. And now, you know, we are the ones that Allah has sent to, you know, bring salvation to the world. <laughs> you know? When in reality, we haven't really learned anything, right? We learn a fraction, you know? It's like, knowledge is a mountain, right? Knowledge is a mountain. And most of us, we haven't even seen the mountain, nor do we realize the mountain exists. That's how ignorant we are. And if you, like, we try and make everything so black and white, and that's what causes us to be, you know, uh, to lose our, to not have tolerance. Whereas if you study, the more you study, the more you start realizing like, man, there's a lot of opinions out there. And, and there's, a lot of, there's a lot of flexibility. You know, there is a lot more flexibility than some people make it out to be in the deen. But there isn't as much flexibility as others want there to be, right? There are, there are lines, right? There are lines. And there have to be lines. Because if there aren't lines, then, you know, it's just a free-for-all. Do whatever you want. So there are lines, but there is a, actually a, quite a lot of flexibility, right? So like the topic of bid'ah comes up. Somebody once, somebody once texted me. I was on a WhatsApp group. And somebody texted me. They said, you know, um, is there a, is a family WhatsApp group that we have? And somebody texted saying, I went to Juma today. And the khatib, the person giving the khutbah, he spoke about uh, how saying Happy New Year's is bid'ah. So is this, is this true? 
I was like, you know, subhanAllah, people don't really frequent the masjid. They don't go to, get to gatherings of knowledge. People are not really learning. As Muslims, we're not doing our part, you know. Um, and you get a whole bunch of more people coming to Jummah than you do at any other time of the week. You have 20 minutes to make, to rectify the community. Jummah is not there to rectify the community, first of all. Okay, it's not there. It's there to remind us like, oh, these days of fasting are coming up. We should fast to remind each other. But it's not there to rectify the community. That has to be done the rest of the week. So how can you rectify community in 20 minutes when you have people at all different levels that are there at Jummah, right? And I'm just like, it's frustrating because these people go to, they go to Jummah and they want to be enlightened. They want to hear, they want to get a boost in their iman, right? In this turbulent world. And you speak about saying Happy New Year's is a bid'ah. So I have a book that's about, I should have brought it. I have a book. It's about, it's like 250 page, 250, 450 pages called Mafumul Bida, the, the understanding of Bida. Imagine like several hundred pages on the understanding on what is Bida. And we want to just black and white everything, you know? And oh, if the Prophet didn't do it, then it's Bida and it's Haram. That's, that's, that's not what Bida is, right? That's not the definition of Bida. So it takes a lot of forbearance, it takes a lot of tolerance, and we should catch ourselves, especially in our journey to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, we have to have forbearance. And just like in the last, in Latif, what was mentioned, that you have, you, you, you guide people with gentleness, right? That's what we have to do. We can't, the hardline approach never works. You have a burnout. When you take a hardline approach, almost guaranteed, almost guaranteed, people who, are, who have a hardline approach to everything, within a few months they burn out. So many times we've seen people come and they say, oh, you know, they're black and white, everything, this is haram. They try and go so hardcore. Six months later, they're never in the masjid and they're like, you see them with a girlfriend or something, you know? It's, it's, it's actually very common, right? Because what happened? They burnt out, they got tired, they couldn't handle it. It's a, it's a journey. It's a slowly, slow process towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, towards getting near Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's why the Prophet says in one hadith that what is, to the extent, uh, to the meaning he says that, uh, those actions that are done in small amounts, although frequent, although continuous, although regularly, are more beloved to Allah than a whole lot of action all at once. So we might make a whole khatam of Qur'an in Ramadan, but then we leave the reading of Qur'an the entire year. What would be better is if every single day we just read a little bit of Qur'an, right? Even if we don't make a whole khatam, uh, one khatam in the year. I think it would be better, maybe I'm wrong, right? It is a sunnah to make one khatam of the Qur'an in Ramadan, but it's better to have a constant progression towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because what happens? You come, you make one khatam in Ramadan, it's done, then you go back to exactly the same person you were before Ramadan. It had no effect on you. Yeah, you, you, know, you got some good deeds written in your account, but you, it didn't really have an effect. Whereas if the whole year we read, right? Sayyidina Uthman radiallahu said that I, I, I dislike that a single day pass and I don't look in the Qur'an and read from it. Even if it's a little bit, right? So that would have been better because then our soul are, would have been nourished and nurtured throughout the entire year. And then maybe, even if we only took one step forward after a whole year, at least it would have been one step forward. You know? And that is what is beloved to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So this, this not having forbearance, it, it leads to burning out. A beautiful point is mentioned, the ulama mentioned that, what does it mean Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is halim? That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is alim, He knows. He knows our sins, He knows our transgressions, He knows what we're doing. He is hakam and He will judge us for it. He is adal, so he will have justice in every judgment that he makes. But because he is halim, he will wait. He will give us respite. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prefers that an individual after having doing, done some wrong, regrets, 
changes, uh, makes, makes toba, repents, then tries to compensate for the wrong that he did, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala prefers that rather than taking someone to account and punishing them. That is the preference of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Imam Razi rahimullah, he says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being halim is the one who doesn't rush to take vengeance but grants respite. And no oppression of any oppressor can provoke Allah except that he had already given respite until that moment. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives respite, Right? Then he take, eventually he will take us to account. Right? So you have the example of Fir'aun. Right? For years Allah Ta'ala gave him respite. But then what happened? A time came, a moment came, that Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala drowned him. Right? So will we say Allah Ta'ala is not Halim? No, he is Halim because Allah Ta'ala gave him so many years, so much chance Allah Ta'ala gave him to, 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 to turn and repent. But the appointed time was there that at this moment I will take you to account if you don't, if you don't turn back, if you don't repent. So when that time comes, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take to account. But Imam Razi says that nothing any oppressor can do will hasten it. So many times Allah ta'ala says in the Quran that were we to, take, were we to hasten, right? When the, when the people would mock the messengers and say that, oh, you're saying this punishment will come to us, then let the punishment come. They would mock, right? They would ask this question in mocking. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would reveal that if the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala was to be hastened, they would have been gone already. Right? But Allah Ta'ala gives them respite. He continuously gives them respite, gives them respite, gives all of us respite. Right? And so nothing hastens Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala's vengeance. Right? We might be like forbearing. We might be like, yeah, okay, I'm doing good. I'm being tolerant. This person bugs me every single day. You know, every week I see this person and he's just bothering me, bothering me, bothering me. But, you know, just let him be. And then that person comes and they say something and then you just lash out. Right? Like, you know, I've had enough and so long it's been like this, so long it's been like that. That's not how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is. That despite all of the transgressions, another transgression, it's not going to bring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say like, okay, you know what? I was going to give you respite. I was going to punish you later, but I'm going to move that up now. No, he has his appointed time and that's when it will come. Hilm is something also um, that, is in, uh, that was in the Anbiya, right? Inna Ibrahim la halimun awahun munib. That indeed Ibrahim al-Islam was very forbearant. And he was very gentle-hearted. And he was oft returning to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Imam Ghazali mentions that Hilm enjoys a high status and esteem despite the abundance of one's sins and the repetition of one's repentance. And that it is the master of all good conduct. These are a couple of hadith that are mentioned um, that are attributed to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa the authenticity of these. But the words are true, right? It is the master of all good conduct. That if you, don't, if you don't have forbearance, then you're not going to have good conduct. Because what is good conduct? It's easy for me to come on a weekly basis and just talk to you guys and, you know, chit-chat and be all nice. But when you do something, right, if I do something to wrong you guys, then what's going to happen? When I wrong you guys and then you choose to not take vengeance, to not lash out, that is when you have been forbearant. Otherwise, when we're all nice to each other, that's not forbearance, right? That's just getting along. You know what I mean? So it's the master of all good conduct. Good conduct comes when it's difficult to have good conduct, when you're tested with it and you still have good conduct. Right? And so this is something, Hilm is something we find, this is the sunnah of Rasulullah that he was very forbearant to the Quraysh. You know? We were, uh, in Sira, it's discussed that when he left Makkah Mukarrama, 13 years of persecution, 13 years of, um, of torture, 13 years of killing, the, the, the Muslims in, in Medina, in Makkah Mukarramah, 
when he arrives on the outskirts of Medina Munawwara, he gives his first khutbah, he says nothing about taking vengeance. What does he do? He sells, tells everyone, have taqwa with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Constantly, have taqwa, have taqwa. Fear Allah, have, be aware of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. When he comes back to Makkah Mukarramah, 20 years of war and persecution against the Muslims. He comes back and what does he say? He comes back, he has his, he's riding his camel and he lowers his head. Like his head is so low that you couldn't even see his face. It was so close to that camel. And he rides in and he goes and sits in the same place that when the boycott happened of the Muslims before they left, he goes and sits in the same place to remind himself that, you know, Ya Allah, you put, there was a time when I was here being boycotted by my people and now you have brought me back conquering this land without a fight. And then he goes to the Kaaba, he goes to, everyone fled because they're like, man, he's, he's one of us, he's going to do what we would do. He's going to take retribution. What does he say? He stands up and says, whoever is in the house of Abu Sufyan is safe. Whoever is in the house of this person is safe. Whoever is in the house of this person is safe. He doesn't take retribution. That is forbearance, that is him. And this is something that we are lacking as a community especially, right? As, community, as a community, as individuals, and that hilm is absolutely required. Imam Zali doesn't actually mention, very, he doesn't even mention a council on hilm. He says that man's share in the attribute of hilm is evident, for it is among the fine qualities of people. So it would be superfluous to explicate it. So he doesn't actually go into the share of, of hilm. I think we can understand why, right? We, we can understand what it means to have halim. What is our share of being halim? To have him. <laughs> Very simple, right? Any questions? So we finished 34 names now. We'll continue next quarter, inshallah. The rooms can... Con con uh, Confirmed. Uh, communications 2.30. Where is that? Uh, it's right next to the hub. Okay. Right across. Oh, okay. I'll show it to you it's, after. Oh, it's even closer? Uh, yeah. Kind of? Across the court. Yeah, it's just... Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, inshallah. Yeah. And it's going to be Thursday, it's the end. Yeah. 4.30. 430. Oh, inshallah. You guys have finals next week, so no class. Yeah. <coughs> no questions? Thank <laughs> you.